The name Gang Badoy Kapati is practically synonymous with service. Gang is a mental health clinician, the founder and executive director of Rock Ed Philippines, and the lead therapist of Project Steady Asia. She is renowned for her work teaching at Nubilibid Prison, as well as countless other initiatives. But now, we turn the tables, and Gang the Therapist opens up to us about her life, her experiences, and herself. My name is Leo Cruz. On this episode of What Glass Ceiling, we talk to Gang Badoy Kapati. Hi, Gang. Welcome to What Glass Ceiling. Leah, wonderful. This is the closest I get to breaking a glass ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've broken. You've broken many, trust me. And we can talk about all of them today. But right now, syempre, of course, pandemic tayo, 2020 to 2021. And you've actually been really busy. That's accurate, actually. That's an accurate adjective. Pero feeling ko, ano siya, now that I'm, I have more time to self-reflect, and I realize that being busy is really my coping mechanism pala. Parang it's how I comfort myself. So while I, I appreciate people who appreciate my work, our work, Rock Ed and the team Rock Ed Relief, Frontline Feeders, Towns, you know, Towns Foundation, I appreciate it when people really express gratitude and, and admiration for my colleagues. Ganyan. I personally, personally, I think I, um, I think I overdid 2020. I was exhausted. Um, on a low energy mood, incapable of joy for a while. So you could say I was in a low grade depression season. And I realized, oh my gosh, it's because I'm so tired. And then I realized, oh, I think a lot of us are this way. Bottom, we cope. We'd rather be busy than anxious. We'd That's rather, true. We'd rather be busy than angry. I'd rather be busy than afraid. I'd rather be busy than unsure. But I realize all the feelings, yung mga unsure, uncertain, and angry even, and sad, grieving. We're grieving for so many things and so many people and so many uh, minutes. We're really grieving lost minutes wherever and adventures we feel we are missing. Um, it's okay to feel all those pala. Yeah, but, but you know, I'm not vilifying being busy. I'm just saying... I got to know that. I got to know that about myself. Na parang, I think I'm overdoing it. I really should be able to rest every now and then, read naman. And it's, so it's only in the last quarter na I'm really more conscious of, ano, of um, giving myself rest. You know? <laughs> and it, I, I know it's always an irony and it's always, uh, you know, it's always an irony that it's a psychotherapist. It's the mental health. Um, yeah, ex- I was just going to say that. You're a mental health clinician. You're a psychotherapist. Uh, you've been described as a trauma recovery therapist, which you are. And I mean, it's interesting to hear all of that coming from you because of your background. Yes, you know, um, when you approach something on a practice level, which I did through prison work, like I was their art therapist for nine years, and you approach it for the second part very academically, um, we still are capable of being so blind to ourselves, you know? There are still blind spots, and it will take magnificent clarity. Maybe one moment when you realize, damn, that's me. This is me. No wonder I'm doing all these things so that I understand myself a little better, you know. <laughs> For a moment there, I thought I was just a nice person, but actually I'm not. Um, uh, <laughs> many people always judge it from afar, the work that I do. Like, wow, you know, it's really cloaked in, in generosity and thinking of another. But, Leah, I think a large part of my adventure, including the work and the advocacies I choose, is really so I understand myself. Uh, traumas I've experienced, memories I have not faced, <laughs> Woo, terrible uh, traumatic experiences you don't allow to surface para you can go through your day. You know what I mean? I think all of us have this. And um, the summary is, I think, for mental wellness is we're all looking for a space that makes us feel safe. And we just all have different ways of doing it. You know, some, some yeah. work too hard, <laughs> some want to be thinner, some want to be... And, you know, and that's fine. All, all methods are good. There's no one best way. Some would rather be drunk than, than, than afraid, would rather be stoned than afraid. And hopefully lang that the soothing, the search for your safe space 
um, has better decisions along the way. And I think mine is work and, and, and academics. <laughs> and I think I really take comfort in science. Parang when I understand that my large, looming, dark feeling is a combination of three chemicals in my brain, somehow it, it, you know, <laughs> I'm comforted. Parang yeah. it's okay, okay to see that. And for many of others, course. it's... For many others, it's a faith leaning, you know, the belief in in a God. And I'm not very religious, kasi, but um, I, I see it. I see the necessary the necessary inclination to believe in yeah. firepower that holds decisions for you when you're absolutely free wheeling with no one in charge. Yeah, I get yeah. it. In fact, yeah. I don't know if there's a God or not, you know. But many, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. But uh, very many times, I feel. Even if there's none, it's very important for humans to to come up with one <laughs> to hold yeah, on. Yeah, to yeah. It's, it's really interesting to hear all of that coming from you because usually mental health uh, clinicians or practitioners, you would think that these people are very strong. In fact, they're listening to a lot of other people's issues and concerns and problems, and you never really get to ask them how they're coping with their own. So you personally, with what you just said, that you think that you do this because it's also your way of coping with your own. I think the if there is strength ever offered from me, it's not brawn. I don't think it's Heidelindia's strong. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I'd like to imagine the strongest muscle for a mental physician, for a mental health practitioner is, uh, is flexibility, emotional flexibility where you can really dance with the tides and say, you know, today I have no answer. I'm not sure. Or when somebody is sad, I can really say, I have, I, I have nothing to say. But uh, this is a horrible, dark time. But I'm going to sit beside you. There's great weakness, a lot of traumatic experiences that I'm processing, uh, and many people should also. And I think the best way for me to understand, and I think that's, that's, that's also what makes me a good, a good therapist. Because I, uh, I don't have my shit together. It's okay to say shit, sorry. Yes, I go ahead. Have, I don't have my shit together all the time. And I think it just looks that way because that's, um, that's how we're raised by our mothers. Like, don't break your, uh, no, don't break a sweat so much in real life. But do we break? Absolutely. How do you draw the line like between knowing... That, that line that, that differentiates you helping others with their experiences as a therapist and realizing that, hey, I got to take care of my own shit? Um, I think that, well, certainly there are lines. In, in fact, siguro sa psych parlance, there really are, uh, you really should set boundaries, you know. But we're very lucky, I think, that we have the mechanism called time. <laughs> you can divide your hours. You can. I'm. I'm a very chrono conscious person. Like I really know if it's eleven twenty seven and if it's eleven forty six. You know, I'm very precise. Uh, I'm always late in, for 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 certain things, but generally I divide my days into specifics. And you know, Leah, it has helped me um, in terms of my mental health. I'll tell you why. When we are general in our language, like oh, having such a bad day, when you say that, that immediately encompasses 24-7. You know, that immediately encompasses 24 hours. That's too long. So what I've learned to do for myself, I don't know if it will work for you, is I really say, wow, that is the most horrible 18 minutes of the week. You know, I really yeah. name it. I it's so specific. Like I'll say, I had a, I had a very uncomfortable lunch. So I try to be, <laughs> I try to be as specific in the adjective choice and specific in the time span, para hindi ko feed yung brain ko na what an unfair life, what yeah. uh, what a bad day, like I'm having such a bad month. Parang I'm quite sure in the 31 days there was, you know, it wasn't 31 days that was awful. I'm sure there was one or two yeah. meals that were good. So one advice, if it's okay to give that without being asked. Shift your language to a little more specific describing. Like, Leah, I can't say... It's so different to say, I'm so angry at my mother. Kumpara sa, I'm so annoyed at my mother. Look at yeah. the difference. Look at the difference. Or, I'm so annoyed at my mom today. I mean, look at the signal you're sending your brain if you say, I'm so angry at my mom. Uh, and even if it's not true, if you constantly say something, somehow it forms your brain. Eh? So, so language, language, like language help you 
and speak in specifics, especially these days in the pandemic, because you can't just say, what a horrible year, you know, uh, what uh, a stifling, I felt like an inmate all year. No, 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 there were some days you felt free when you watched something new, when you heard great music, when you were on Zoom laughing with three friends. Those are moments where you were free. Those, you know, those were, they weren't so bad considering. So, uh yeah, stop the blanket language for now. Kahit for now lang. Kahit until we get past this. Speak in specifics. What an awful 18-minute lunch. Ganyan! Ganyan. mo na sarili mo. Yeah, yeah. I don't think a lot of, I don't think that pops into a lot of people's heads at all. But it, it's, a, it's, it's a great piece of advice. Thank you for that. Pero Leah, di ba ganun din? Like if you have an argument with, let's say, someone you're dating, you, you go, ah, man. I mean, you know, you're really just having a tiff with one person. You can't just say, ah, man, right? And that immediately blankets everyone, even the nice ones. And, and that's not, while it seems poetically funny, it's not healthy because you're feeding signals to your brain that the world is a dangerous place, that every corner there's threat, that every corner and every minute um there is darkness, but when it's it's not, you know, you know that salitan, you know, there's there's great minutes and there are happy minutes, there are quiet minutes, and there are dark times for sure, for sure. So if you can uh, limit naman the darkness to where it really is lang, para wag mo na palakihin. I suppose in Filipino yun palayon, wag mo na wag mo na gatungan, di ba? It's anjan na eh, nilakyan mo pa eh, <laughs> parang ganyan. Okay. True. You know, the path that you've chosen, being a therapist, doesn't sound easy at all. And actually, all the work that you do doesn't sound easy at all. Why do you, why do you choose to do it over and over again? Wow. You know, I, I, I think if you're a stubborn individual like me, I, I'm very stubborn. If I had my way, I would just do not, you know, not these things. <laughs> but I have a feeling... If you are raised by and in an orientation of a family that there are certain things that are important outside of you, like lipunan, demokrasya, eh, martial law baby ako eh. So, yan talaga yung orientation ko na kung ikaw na kapag aral, you need to be involved kasi you were the, you're the lucky one that got to study, so you need to give back. I think there's that. It's not even a religious thing. It's just I can't shake it off. And I also saw it with my mother, despite her being busy, there was always, every Saturday, she'd go to San Pablo, Laguna, to teach um, adult illiterates, like adults who can't read. sa grade one, so she has a class of, ano, and she did that for years. And so, a few times I would go with her, we'd <laughs> magkakommute kami kasi nahiya siya mag magano magcar. <laughs> and it was great, it was great. So I think, um, I, Part of, I don't think I choose it consciously. Like, for example, my work in person. Leah, nobody wakes up one morning and says, you know, I think I shall teach in person. No, I, I don't think so. I don't think nobody does that. No one really. So how did it happen with me? I was making a, a documentary for the Supreme Court of then Chief Justice Renato Puno. And I needed footage in the maximum security prison. And I had to find the way to get inside. And so I talked to the authorities, to the warden viewer, and said, "Pwede ba kami maghold ng alternative classes inside, just so that I could get footage?" You know. So I wasn't, I was, <laughs> that wasn't the plan at all. In fact, I told you, I'm not, I'm not religious at all. I'm not makawanggawa at all. I just needed my footage, so I came up with this plan. So we invited. Soliman Cruz, Tado Jimenez, the late comedian, to come in and also teach. And since it was such a trip, I brought all sorts of friends. Like Carl Roy was still alive then. So I said, you want to perform in prison? Sure, because he, he's my friend with the most tattoos. So I thought he'd feel right at home. And uh, so I said, and then it became like a field trip for us friends. And it sounds insensitive, but I went through the hoops to get footage. And then I taught creative writing class that day. In fact, there is still a picture of it. And I, I was so young then. And then right after that class, may isang inmate nagsabi sa akin, Oh, so ma'am, kailan kayo babalik? Um, wala ang sagot doon, di ba? <laughs> Parang never, di ba? Parang yun yung sagot ko. But I thought, you know what? We, we got footage. We interviewed a lot of them. We got uh, rich um, uh, aspects to our, to our documentary. 
So I just thought it was right to say thank you. So I said, you know, sir, next month birthday ko, because it was July. Next month birthday ko, which is August. Um, dito namin ipipremiere yung docu, parang yung first ano, screening ever in the world. As if naman malaki yung docu. But I must say, the people involved in the documentaries, they're all like hot shots now. Pepe Diop, no? He was only 17 then. And he's a multi-awarded, you know, winning um, filmmaker. Uh, Lord, of course, you know, Lord de Vera. Uh, Tado, the late Tado Jimenez comedian, was also there. And I worked with Kid Latigia and myself. So we were very, very young. This was a very long time ago. 2007 or six? That's a long time ago. We were really young. I mean, uh, we grew up before everyone's eyes, I suppose. Not, not mature, just got older. And then we went back the following month. And you know, I just never left. I, <laughs> I just never left. We just kept finding things to do. But people think it was a, a noble thing. I, I, and I think it is. And um, a lot of people always quote the Bible, like when you visit people in prison. And I'm like, what? That's so far removed from me. Um, I'm going to have to admit this um, in, on your show, that I, I think I benefited from the years in prison more, more than the inmates from us. Even if we have done great work, like we built a library inside, we build, I'm so proud of this. We, there are art galleries. We have art materials regularly in supply. Um, there's audiovisual materials. It's like a small audiovisual room. And we filled a whole, a small classroom with books and, and painted it white. So there's a library. Um, I think, I think I, I'm all the richer, seriously. I don't even, how do I say this? Because after, after a few years, I realized I had to make my, studies formal regarding mental health and mental health care. And so I started enrolling in certification classes, uh, licensing, etc. I went through it like a breeze. Like, parang, okay, because I need the formality of a certification. Sure, I'll study it. But my God, the Wednesdays and Saturdays I spent in prison, that's like 10 PhDs worth of of clinical study, science journal publishing, and maybe mga four PhDs. Kaya kong isiksik dun sa texture, learning, adjustment, heartache, emotional taxing, uh, wisdom that I got from there. It's like, wow, this is, this is an education. Of course, now, ngayon ko lang siya nakikita as data. Pero back then, I was just focused on, okay, next Wednesday, there's a, this is the, uh, lesson plan next Wednesday, next Wednesday. I was kind of more focused on the present then. And then we lost our permit in 2016 when when there was the Lila de Lima crackdown in Believe It and they changed the security setup. So, yeah. So that's it. So now I only go to prison once a month to deliver hygiene kits. So there's no regular classes like before. So, yeah, that's a story. So I guess my answer is um, I don't think I chose it. But when you keep doing things and doing things and swinging from vine to vine, eventually you will look back and realize the work chose you. Parang it chose me. <laughs> and I suppose it's not a coincidence. My name is Gang and there's so many gangs inside prison. And I'm so famous whenever I'm inside prison. Like, Mom Gang! Parang ganun. And uh, as feeling ko, kung pwede sila bumoto, mananalo ako eh. I, I have to ask though, as a... And I'm sure you've been asked this before, pero hindi ka ba natatakot? Especially as a woman going into the maximum security prison. Definitely. I'll answer it straight. I was gonna go the, I was gonna go the route of, well, you know, but I'll, I'll answer it straight up. Yes, of course. Because you know the nature of a prison, then you know that it is, uh, there, there is, it's a, it's a threatening place, generally. Right, you, you know that there is threat because the history of everybody in there, the nature of the institution itself. It's a space where all the people who committed, who have been convicted, whether rightly or wrongly, because you know our justice system is so fantastic. <laughs> you know whether right or wrong, whether they're guilty or not, they were on trial and they were convicted, and so there is an assumption that they're not uh, statistically normal. There's an assumption that they are not kind, they are not good generally, whatever the explanation is, they're twisted, they're damaged, all these words. And you know, it's a collective space that has that. So, syempre, alam mong may perceived threat yung place. As a woman, um, I, I'm not sure how to explain this, but I think slowly, 
slowly I started feeling, um, I have to say this, but when I'm very aware and very conscious that whenever I go into prison, I would wear, and I say this with honesty, not to offend anyone. Ah. I enter and I always wear maluwang na t-shirt, super luwang na maong, you know, sometimes. I, I mean, I have a uniform actually when I go to prison and I was conscious not to fix myself, you know, no powder, no lipstick. And I don't, know, I don't even know if I did that on purpose. I just think that when you are not attractive, you are safer inside from sexual harassment, from anybody, you know, uh, any of the inmates getting a different idea on how they see you. I'd rather that they saw me talaga as a teacher, as someone who was with them. And you know what, Leah, and you know, this is the first time I'm sharing this in public. Um, I think I slowly felt myself stop fixing myself. Like I gained weight. I cut my hair super short, almost like a like super boycott. I didn't mind that. I didn't mind if my skin was oily. I didn't, you know, talagang <laughs> nag-aayos at all. And the first time that it dawned on me that I was really not fixing myself, and I took pride in it because I thought, see, I'm not frivolous. I'm not maarte, uh, which is so wrong. That's so judgmental. You're a woman, you know. You're supposed to fix yourself. And if it makes you feel pretty, wear lipstick, wear pink. I don't know. That's not... There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's great. Celebrate your your gender. But I think for a while I was feeling, see, look at me. I'm just focused on the brass stuff. I'm just focused on the service. I can't be bothered with lashes or lipstick or etc. And then there was a twisted arrogance slash pride about it when I think I was very wrong because I believe I just didn't want to be attractive because it made me feel safer inside. So that's something that women wrestle with everywhere. Not just me. I just got the controlled environment. Parang naging lab rat ako. Parang I was planted on a petri dish of a, of a threatening environment. And my response without even planning is, we will not enter prison looking attractive. Yes, so let's yeah. just cut the hair, wear maluwang, don't wear lipstick, no lip balm, kahit powder, wala na. I yeah, swear uh -oh. to God, I must have been at my ugliest and I don't even know why I was so proud of that. But I, I look at pictures now and I'm thinking, why was I not? Because I was raised by my mom that you have to look neat and, you know, planchado. And it's not vanity. It's just, uh, I think it's politeness when you show up. Uh, uh, appropriately, <laughs> you know, dressed, sartorially appropriate. But I think naging experiment ako for everything, all what women face outside in the world, that either either you want to feel good about yourself to be attractive, and yet there is this concept of maybe if I'm not attractive, I'm overlooked and therefore I'm not in danger. Therefore, I won't feel awkward. Nobody will whistle, you know, wolf whistle at me. And there have there have been many studies uh, in the obesity, um, published on obesity, that many women pala uh, consciously wanted to, they, without them knowing it, they were gaining weight, gaining weight, gaining weight. Because somehow it became, the fat became a protection between them and the world because there must have been a traumatic experience prior to that. Because there was one woman in the, in the study that lost a lot of weight and then para in three months, she gained it all back. And so they had to ask her, Hey, you were doing so well. What happened? And she said, you know, on the first day I went back to work, I had an office mate that parang made a lewd remark at me. Parang nagsabi na, hey, parang hot mo ngayon na. And then parang ilang siya. Hindi lang siya na ilang. Hindi lang siya na ilang, Leah. There must have been an unprocessed hidden trauma. Maybe there was some abuse um, in her past that surfaced. And then all of a sudden, everything about her just wanted to be fat again. Para she's protected. It's such an interesting discussion because you realize also that how you present yourself can take you in two completely different directions. It's like, do you ever feel that you're forced to make decisions that you don't necessarily want to about your appearance? Yeah, yeah, I have something for that. I have a feeling, by instinct, all women, all humans, not just women, all humans want to go where they are safe. Yeah, and there are some women, uh, whether trans or, or um, cisgendered female, they feel powerful when they're sexily dressed. Maybe that's where they feel strongest. And there are some who feel very safe when they're 
you know, maluwang yung suot and not attractive, not drawing attention. And there are some who feel really powerful when they dress like men and they look like men uh, or rougher, you know. Uh, but there are some women who feel I am in charge. I can manipulate for uh, in a nice, flirty way if I'm girly. Because people, you know, men will pull my chair and open my door and etc. So it's not power, but it could be seen as that. It could be seen as power. I think it's more of you. You really go and present yourself where you feel safest. Where you feel safest. Now I don't know if you. <laughs> this is such an old movie, but I'll say it na lang. In Pretty Woman. Julia Roberts, always at the start of the movie, was always wearing boots, jeans, and a white shirt, and a lot of like leather um, bracelets and stuff. And then one day, you know, Richard Gears hired her, whatever, for a weekend just to hang with him, etc. And she dressed up. And then, parang men were hitting on her sabar, and she she got so nervous, and she said, "Cause I wasn't wearing my armor, I felt so awkward because I wasn't in jeans." Do you know what I mean? And I think all of us, including men, face this um, dance of a uh, complex, complex dance of being human, wherein we're constantly looking for where we are safest. So for some, dressing sexy makes them feel safe because they're powerful and they're uh, at the center, or maybe that's the important need. For some, they'd rather disappear and not be noticed. Like, you know, they'll really dress so plainly para hindi mapansin. But a lot of this is, uh, no, response to, possible response to trauma. This is trauma response. That's incredibly interesting. And, you know, you always know this at the back of your head, that the way you present yourself can have can have consequences, either good or bad. But to, to realize that, people have individual concepts of what is appropriate or even safe is is something I think will help people once they actually realize that. I think instinctively we know this. And it's not, I don't think it's always narcissism or arrogance or a need to be noticed or beautiful or admired. I think most of the times where you feel safest. Because we really, we really go and stay where we feel safe. Yeah. Okay, going back to your experience in Bilibid, how do you reconcile the humanity of these people that you've taught, that you've gotten to know, with the knowledge that they are there for crimes they have allegedly committed? I mean, personally, on a very personal level, how do you do that? I haven't. <laughs> I haven't, actually. I, but, but I need to say this. Uh, the first three years of me teaching, I got a lot of questions saying, why are you wasting your time? in prison. You could be training, uh, you know, guidance counselors instead or children, um, special education, but, you know, these, these are people in prison. Why are you there? And um, I never had an answer other than, oh, no, it, I'm just finishing off a permit we got from the Supreme Court because we were able to shoot a documentary. I, I would shy away from a real answer. But the real answer is, uh, and I, I will shamelessly say it, even if it's so cliche, I'll say it. Because when you bestow the, the, the worst of us some access to education, then the bottom line is raised. Then everybody, lahat ng standards aakyat. Parang, if we take care, if we think inmates should even finish their high school diploma, which is part of our program, even if they're not going to get out ever, it's just nice for humans to accomplish something, they'll finish their diploma. If we have that, and there was a group, which was us, that never stopped doing it, then I think the lowest, uh, the standards are raised for everyone else, for the non-inmates, for the better people, for the upright citizens, I feel like if there's someone who just says, look, look at even the inmates deserve this, what more? Right? So that's one answer. Because I was very young and idealistic at that time. But how do I reconcile that they are the same? Because I have a close encounter, which is my one of my single large trauma, is that I have two good friends who were murdered in their home, and I saw them in the crime scene, in the kitchen. Now you know, now you also know why I'm a psychotherapist. <laughs> I had to figure that out. It took me years to figure that PTSD out. I'm still crawling out of it, by the way. Um, it takes a lot of work. It's like a, 
it's like gym. It's like working on a gym. You don't go just once. So there was that experience in 20, 2009. And I stopped going to Bilibid for a month and a half because I couldn't reconcile that the murderer of my friend bears the same face as the students I had, have, right? Kasi bago nun, I used to say, well, I've never been a victim of a crime, eh, so kaya ko pa magturo. And then nung naging, nung nangyari sa akin, parang, uh, th that was um, the most flexible. <laughs> my heart was required to be its most flex at its most flexible, to separate them, to not give in to general, general language like, God, these murderers, right? Or <laughs> I, I knew them by name. You know, I know Rowan, Gaspar. These are my students' names. Dave, Anthony, Mike, JV, uh, Warren, Chris. Those are my students. Bunso, they all have certain, some of them have nicknames. There's Bunso, there's Inchik, there's Kolot. <laughs> I don't know the real names, but, you know, those are their names. And if you deal with them that way. and But, you know, Leah, what I learned, um, I, I learned that I have an instinct to constantly evaluate other people and judge. And in this scenario, you'll be exhausted judging all day. So, parang <laughs> na-off. Na off yung muscle ko to constantly judge. Oh, good person, bad person, you know. Parang nawala yon, nawala yon. So that's 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 education for me right there. The second is um, when I listen to their stories and I have in different forms through their through their essays, through their poetry, through their drawings, through their art. Because I'm an art therapist, so you can kind of see where they where their minds are by what they draw. I don't think there's a single inmate that did not have an, an adverse childhood experience. Not a single inmate there. I don't think everybody experienced some form of abuse or neglect or abandonment in significant or insignificant ways or a single large trauma. But everybody went through something and almost everyone didn't have a chance to process it. That's why choices go this way. I think my uh, go that way, that not a life of crime and etc. The the drugs. Let's talk about drugs. The, a lot of them are there for drugs, using or selling, or they carnap to sell so they can get drugs. You know, uh, I think a lot of the addicts inside. I don't think the addiction was the problem. I think the problem was what were they soothing that they needed to get stoned all the time. What did they not want to feel? And a lot of that, I think, is a childhood unprocessed pain, whether it's neglect or out-and-out uh, -out abuse, physical, sexual, or verbal. And so, this is what I was saying kanina, the defense mechanisms. Oh, I'd rather be busy than sad. I'd rather be busy than mourning or in grief. Say that they'd rather be stoned than feeling like a victim of childhood abuse. They'd rather be drunk, okay? So it's not so much the drug or the addiction. In fact, the addiction parang is their attempt to soothe themselves. Eh. It was their attempt to soothe something. Because a lot of the crime is around um, doing stupid things to get the drug. Because when they're high, they're usually home or having fun or, <laughs> or partying or etc. It's actually the act of the, uh, you know, you're so giyang and you're like, you really want to get your fix. This is the time when gagawin ko lahat. To get it. This is where the crime happens. And of course, they're sloppy because they're stoned half the time, right? Uh, it's really the psychopaths who have no anxiety or the sociopaths. Yan yung mga na walang kaba. So usually they're not in prison. Usually some of them are in government. But there's a lot of regular, statistically normally hurt people who just made choices Natuloy-tuloy to soothe themselves, right? But uh, there's a lot of anxiety there. And if you have no anxiety, you're possibly a sociopath, prob probably a psychopath. And all personality disorders have anxiety. Yes, how did you process your own PTSD, your own trauma? And how were you able to get back there into Bilibid? I didn't, I wasn't, pro <laughs> it's, not, it's not linear wherein I shall process it and now it's done, so I shall go back. You know, it's not, it's not that way. 
I think my keep my returning, my my constant return was part of the process to come to some conclusion on humanity. Because when you're faced with something so large, so looming as murder of friends, you need, everything helps. You you need to grab onto everything that will figure something out for you to comfort you to so aabot ako sa justice system sa you know that's why these are the things that matter to me the justice system the law enforcement when are you arrested are you represented when you're arrested are you innocent or proven guilty did you truly um, commit the crime. Are, uh, do we let technology help us? Are there CCTVs everywhere? And if there are, do we use it in court? You know, and dami kong obsession sa ganyan. And that's really part of all my healing. Because I told you, Leah, part of my healing is parang I want to know everything. I want to study everything. Maybe I'm also hiding from the actual breakdown. Because it's really, it's really um, bone crushing, that, that event for me. So I was, and I think I still am processing it to this day. But I think I need I need another decade. So no, okay. not because I resolved the PTSD. Kaya nakabalik ako ulit sa prison. Yeah. I don't think that the going back to teach was a whole separate series of decisions to help me figure out an laki an laki ng nangyare. Yeah. So once I started understanding a little bit, a little percentage of why the people who committed murder in my class committed murder, you know, a lot of them is really um, a mood disorder. There was there was one or two of them na parang yung kwento nila was um, it, it was so uh, he killed the neighbor he's dead na now this inmate but that's why I feel free to share and and he's a wonderful man so I'm sure if his story can help other people I'll share it he killed his neighbor because his neighbor hinted at him that his wife was cheating on him okay. It, and I, I seriously think this particular, let, let's just call him June. <laughs> June was, um, is bipolar. I think he's really, I think he's bi- bipolar. I think there's a, an undiagnosed mood disorder. Because he black, blacked out and really shot his neighbor. And when you have bipolar um, disorder, you have... Mm, weeks or days of hypomania where you're really disassociated and you're also paranoid, like parang the CIA is after me, the NBI is after me, and that's real to them. So a murder was committed at the time of psychosis. Now, am I acquitting him? Of course not. I'm not acquitting him. Uh, you know, murder holds, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, but I think, I think if there was diagnosis, if there was mental health care, then there must be a lot less of these. May I say something super brave? I said this in another podcast, but this is going to be my keynote speech till I die, I think. Seriously. After a decade and some, almost two decades of being in the mental health care field, we will lower significantly autoimmune disease. We will lower crime. We will lower mood disorders, and suicides even, dare I say, if we address childhood neglect, if we address childhood abuse, if we put somewhere, circuit break it, and stop it at its root. I don't know how. I have no answer right now. It could be many things. could be law enforcement, could be DSWD, could be all, orchestration of all. And if it already has occurred, then can there be mental health care? So that before the children um, develop sobrang set soothing mechanisms like substance abuse, soothing mechanisms like narcissism. <laughs> because narcissism and deep, deep-seated deep arrogance really comes from, from an insecurity that comes from being unaccepted, possibly neglected, possibly unloved. If you don't process through that, you'll really become arrogant. Because, Leah, when a human feels safe and unjudged, we really are nice people. And we're generous and we're compassionate. But the minute you perceive threat, where you feel pinagtatawanan ka, minamata ka, they look down on you, they insult you, you're bullied, this is where all the defenses come out. Where you're arrogant, you're arrogant, an arrogant piece of shit, and then you become so murderous almost or violent because that's you defending you you can't help it so 
uh, if merong active, intelligent, multi-purpose interagency task force, I love that, IATF, that addresses and really takes care of children every step of the way in the developmental stage until if there was a traumatic experience, then offer mental health, but at least provide a blanket foundation of safety while they're home. I think a lot of these numbers will drop. What, will, what are the numbers that will drop? Suicide, mood disorders, personality disorders, crime, substance abuse, some form of violence. Um, I guess rabble rousing would be one. Uh, you know, scuffles in streets that are so useless and sometimes they end up to be so violent, which causes further exponential trauma for other people who witness it. It sounds really sweeping and parang simplistic, but I'll tell you, I did not encounter a single inmate in the women's correctional that was not abused. I haven't talked to everyone for sure, but so far, so everybody I interviewed for my research has had an experience of some abuse in the women's correctional. In the men's correctional, it's not always sexual abuse, and a lot of them will be too ashamed to admit sexual abuse with males. Yeah. It, it's shameful enough to admit it if you're female. I think it's times then when a male is, is sexually abused. So I don't know the numbers there, but I do know maraming emotional abuse, verbal abuse, um, neglect via poverty, like hindi ka napaaral, or, or napaaral ka pero you're always worried na parang you're a financial burden to parents. Even these give you trauma. Trauma is not just large. Sometimes trauma is, you know, like the documentary of Maria Ressa, a thousand cuts, a thousand small cuts. Yung kulang sa money, you feel guilty. Uh, you know, uh, you're a child. You know, these are not small things. When you're seven years old, that's the world. You know, when you're six yeah. years old, you hear your mom. Um, and God, this is not... I hate parents, Dea. I love parents. In fact, all the parents tried hard. They, they tried their best. But if you hear your mom and you're seven years old, very worried about money, and then complaining, you'll feel it's about you. And when you're seven years old, that's the world. You're the, and then if you don't ever process it or discuss it, and you were never consoled about it, like if your mother never, you eavesdrop ka lang naman eh, so your mom didn't know, right? But if your mom never had the chance to tell you, to tell you anak, of course, I'm working hard to give to send you to school. Anak kita, I love you. Eh. Kung walang chance na ganun, all your life you'll feel like a burden. This is where you become a people pleaser. This is where you never say no. This is where, kahit wala ka nang mapautang, utang mo, kasi you need to be liked. And I feel like that's a feeling of I'm not safe unless I give. They will not like me unless I do the favor. It's pagod na pagod ka na. You'll say, yes. Yeah. so this is where people pleasing comes in and et cetera. And we all have this. That's why now that we're older, really study your childhood. Geek out on your childhood. The way you know Star Wars. You know, the way you know whatever you know. BTS, ganyan. Yeah. If you thoroughly know Korean culture because of the films, study your childhood. What happened? Not, not to dredge up. Uh, awful memories, but some might come up. But just to figure out why am I like this? Oh, because yeah. I went through this. This is oh. what you do, and you've done such an exceptional job at it, and you've been multi-awarded for your work, really. So you've always had this public persona that, in it's as a matter of fact, is multi-awarded. But nowadays, you're your name gets mixed up in public with with your with your sisters, <laughs> yeah, PCO yeah. Undersecretary Lorraine Badoy. So yeah, yeah, we have the same dad but different mom. You know, all our lives we never even I never distinguished half amongst my siblings, even if I have just one full sibling and everybody's. You know. but, but I think because of the notoriety and <laughs> and a lot of public statements I didn't agree with. We start with the child porn <laughs> comment in the, on EU by my half-sister, Yusek Lorraine. Um, I don't know. I just felt more comfortable saying half. <laughs> um, and I don't think it's a, it, it's a bad or good thing. It, it's, just, it's just time to, what's the word, be more accurate. <laughs> I think it's just time to be more precise. Were you very close? I mean, you, you did make, you did mention that you made yeah. a, you didn't make a distinction before. Yeah, yeah, and, of and all of a sudden now you you want to make that distinction. Wow, this is so personal, but okay. um, 
you know, I uh, we didn't grow up in the same home. I, I am of a different mother. So I grew up with the children of my mom by her first husband because she my mother was widowed. And Lorraine's um, dad was with, was a widower, and they got married, and I'm in the second batch of kids. Like, I'm in the mega link. So we didn't grow up in the same household, which gives you a certain distance. Now, when you see each other, it's fun. I guess it's yung difference between sibling and cousin. Because so it's just more fun to be with. Yeah. So whenever we do have time and she would come or visit, I, I, I remember she, I was a kid and she'd come over and then a boyfriend would pick her up there for a day because the boyfriend lives near us and then she'd be dropped off. And I'm, I was always excited when she'd be there. We'd stay up late, we'd talk. She was the adult in my life. She's about nine or ten years older than me. She, she's the adult in my life that made me feel listened to. And she was interested in what I had to say. And, and you know, to a child that's big. Of course, my, of course, the siblings I lived with, you know, they're pretty chill. But they're not. They weren't as, they weren't as attentive to me as, as Manangui, as I call her when she would visit. Kasi novelty ako sa kanya eh. She doesn't have a younger sister. Ako yung... She's the youngest girl in her first marriage. So, siguro, siguro, it was also nice to have a younger sister, which is me. And I enjoyed her company thoroughly growing up because she's so different from, from my sisters by my mom. My sisters by my mom are also so well-behaved. <laughs> Everybody's so well-behaved and um, really corny, actually. And I was the one who's the But Manangui, Yusek Lorraine was was very frank, very irreverent. I, I thought, I think she's really funny. She's so witty. So very I was the ish, delightful company actually growing up. And I must say, uh, when you're an awkward teenager or pre-adolescent, you know, adolescent, you're a 12-year-old, and you have an ate that, that makes you laugh, that listens to you, that thinks you're funny, that thinks... She's the one that would say, can I see what you drew today? Or, oh, you wrote this? Wow, you're so good. <laughs> she had more space for, for a distant praise for me compared to my siblings. So in that sense, I owe her a large part of my confidence, I suppose. Because she was so... Um, she, was the, she was the adult that listened to me. Obviously, nowadays, I think you have somewhat of a fractured relationship? Is it accurate to say that? <laughs> we, I haven't seen her since, um, I don't okay. know, even, even before this administration, there was a, you know, I got busy. I don't, now that I look back, I think, I think I, I think I cut from most of the world, not just with her, because I was recovering from something <laughs> and my mother was uh, losing her memory at the time. Let's just say casualty. <laughs> casualty yung friendship namin of, of the decisions I had to make at the time to recover from a lot of the traumatic experiences. But she was the one there for me during the funeral of my friends. You know, she stuck with me in a in the Shell gas station of Katipunan till dawn. Like we were sitting at 10 p.m. I didn't leave till 9 a.m. And she just sat there with me. Silence, you know. So yeah, she's actually a, she's a good sister. What can you tell others as a mental health clinician who are processing fractured relationships, <laughs> who are sort of mourning, mourning these relationships that are not there anymore? Okay, number one, number one, you're going to have to find the perfect form of your relationship. And if the perfect form is an ocean away, stay away. <laughs> because it's not, this is not Disney, you know. This is not Disney where at the last scene, you're slow-mo laughing, having coffee with your sibling because you now get along because I don't know, you had a hard, hard talk. I mean, come on. That's life is messy. Okay, life is messy. Friendship is messy. Sisterhood, siblinghood is, is messy. And all I need you to remember is that it, it, you have to take care of yourself. If you are more unstable, if you are constantly triggered and it's bringing out the worst in you, then stay away first. Whether for now or forever, I don't know. That's up to you. That's your call. Do not fear fight. <laughs> I think because there's a way to fight it. Eh? And and Leah, looking at my history, I fight to fix. But if I 
I'm no longer fighting. This is the best form. Let's not fix. No, so for kung dinadaanan mo to, if you're going through fractured relationships, whether it's a it's with a lover, a friend, a sibling, a family member, a parent, and on, we, because of politics or whatever it is, you know, there are really some things you can't fix, and you can walk away from that, and you'll still feel good. We always think, I said, that the only solution is to fix it. Eh? We always yeah. think that the only solution is at the end you're high fiving and hugging. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, there are other options, and one option is. You leave each other in peace. You know, you can wave at each other from across the continents and just, that if that's the most peaceful, no problem. Kung walang usap-usap, at least walang ibang nasasaktan, okay na rin yun. Kasi yung pilitin mo, uh, you know, they're, um, we're like chemicals. You know, we're like chemical chemistry elements. May mga elements talaga na hindi bagay. Na pag-isama mo sa sabog, that's just how it is. Not one element, good or bad, they just don't combine well because you'll either burst into flames or annihilate the world, you know? So stay away from elements, from the other elements that might produce a different chemical reaction if you combine with them. Just stay away. Okay, good advice. Now, given your background and, and your own experiences and everything you know from studying all of these all of these things... Before we say goodbye, can you tell us what your words to live by are? Well, I could go everywhere with this one, but I would make it short. <clears throat> the best advice I ever got from my mom. My mom has Alzheimer's now, so she can't talk. So I'm lending her a, a voice. <laughs> she said, Gang, not everything is yours. May mga ibang bagay hindi sayo. And that, that includes bad stuff. And that includes good stuff. And you'll be all right, she said, if you just know which one is yours. You say, okay, this one, that's mine. This one, not mine. This one, my problem. This one, no, not really. But okay, I'll, I'll sign a petition for that, sure. This one, I can directly influence this. This is mine. Yeah. You're going to have to know which one is yours and let go of what isn't. Like, not your problem. Because I really need to, to tell this to people who are... Uh, empaths, like people who feel everything, people who are raised, especially in the Christocentric, very Catholic upbringing na, na grabe yung value kasi in, in sacrifice and duduguan ka muna bago, bago maging worthy sacrifice. I want to disabuse us of the notion that if a, if a task is easy, it doesn't make it less valuable. I really think if you find work that you enjoy and you are consistent in it, that's the best offering rather than mas mahirap Tapos you're not, your whole heart's not in it. So what do I mean? Find out what you really like doing. And because if you really like doing it, kaya mo araw-arawin. At pag inaraw-araw mo, gagaling ka dun. At pag gumaling ka dun, mag-exponential growth pa yun. So, so it doesn't have to be duguan. <laughs> Parang ganun. Parang there is such a premium on sacrifice, but sacrifice will always be asked of you anyway. That's minimum requirement of anything excellent. So if it's something that you, you can do, that you enjoy, I think there's wisdom there. Because I have a feeling, I have a feeling to really be whole and exactly where you should be, I think laughter should be part of it. If there's no laughter in that space, in that zone, perhaps you shouldn't be there. For me, kung hindi ka natatawa, kung walang laughter, walang lightheartedness doon, hindi yun iyo. Alis ka doon kasi in, grief will always happen, sadness will always happen. People will die. Death will happen. We will lose. I will lose people and people will lose me. Kasama na yon. So find the space where there is, you're safe and where you, you can laugh. Yeah. Thank you so much, gang, for gracing us with your presence on What Glass Healing.